ready for the the gorilla in the room that you may not have noticed because you're so focused in on yeah. you know something else. Yep. Um, you know, which is really normal. Yeah. You know, but it's that ability I think, with, and that comes with your clinical experience and more exposure. That over time you can start to kind of be ready and go. Oh, this is following this, but I remember that time that I saw that. Yeah. This was a bit weird, so I'm just going to double check. Yeah. Um, and that just then it's just time. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, time in the game. And then you've got that catalogue of of experiences in your head that you can sort of sift through and go, oh yeah, these this pattern mimics that that um, athlete that I saw five years ago. Or mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I remember like sitting down with. Um, Henry in the in the master's program, I'm sure he's shown that video to everyone, but if you type in YouTube and he says like how many people oh how many times do the people in white pass the basketball? And there's a video on that and you, you're watching the people you now there's people in a room dressed in black and white and the what the people in white are passing the basketball. And I remember watching like so like I was tuned right in. I was like, right, I'm gonna get this right. I've got to get it right. <laughs> and um you know, and you're watching the ball go around the room. And at the time, this gorilla walks through the actual scene and uh, and you don't, I didn't notice it. And, <laughs> and I was like, and at the end, like, you know, the video finishes and then it says like, how many, how many times the people in the white pass the basketball? And I was like, 15. And, yep. it, was, and it was 15. Um, but then it says, did, but did you notice the gorilla? And I was like, what? The gorilla? <laughs> and, you know, so when they play the video back, this full gorilla kind of walks through, does a bit of a dance in the middle. So it's so obvious when you're then looking for it. But at the yeah. time when you're so tuned in, you just don't even notice it. And I was like, oh my God. And then, but then like the the kind of ego inside me was like, well, at least I got the 15 right. <laughs> you know, so... Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow, and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome back everyone to episode 44 of the Run Culture Podcast. My name's Dane Verwey, as you know, and today I'm very fortunate to be joined by Nick Cross, the Director of Melbourne CBD Physiotherapy. Nick's experience professionally is extensive. He's trained originally as a sports scientist, completing undergraduate and postgraduate studies in exercise physiology. He then went on to complete a doctorate of physiotherapy at the University of Melbourne. Upon graduating, Nick has worked in sports medicine clinics for many years whilst remaining involved in professional sport. He is about to graduate from a master's in sports physiotherapy and has recently embarked on the world of sports physiotherapy research. Those who love running often run themselves and it's no surprise that Nick is no different. Nick has won two stall 400 metre races himself, one of them as a back marker. Nick still continues to train and compete, but has now found he receives just as much enjoyment from helping others succeed. Nick has consulted with some of the world's top athletes and travels with national and state athletics teams. 
Had COVID-19 not put the world in a spin, Nick would have set off to travel to Morocco for the World University Cross Country Championships, and then he would have been off to Japan with a junior Australian track and field group. I'm sorry that you're grounded here in Australia, mate, um, but I'm delighted to have you with me today. Mate, I'm wrapped to be here. Yeah. Thanks um, so much for joining me today. Um, as I've said, like you've got such experience with physiotherapy and you do sort of specialise in treating the, the runner. Um, today, I wanted to have a chat about a particular topic. So we've sort of discussed over the last month or so a few topics on podcasts that we want to chat about. Uh, today, we've sort of worked out that we want to talk about uh, how... Um, strong relationships um, between um, runners and um, supportive, cohesive teams um, of people help sort of determine running success. So uh, the team required for... We wanted to go over the team required um, for running, um, whether it's professional, semi-elite, or the recreational athlete. Um, The team members involved and their roles in that space, and then touch on both of our experiences in teams. Yeah. Mate, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Um, so, Nick, in your experience, tell us about some of the teams you have worked with and how they are structured. Yeah, for sure. Look, I I didn't start off in track and field. Um, I was very football-based, um, as a lot of sports science students are when they come out, you know, especially in Victoria, you know, it's just football, football, football. Yep. So it was no surprise that I, um, I went down that route to begin. And then... Um, from that point, um, from undergraduate, I then went into this master's program and then stepped away from footy for a little bit and then was working privately as an EP. And then it was when I went back into my physio program that I went back to football um, and took up a role. You know, it's one of these glamorous kind of titles that no one really knows what it means as a high performance manager and um, back at Oakley Chargers. And that's when my first real involvement um, at the at the top of kind of a food chain, you know, really started. And, and that was a really interesting experience because, you know, then I was involved in overseeing my department, which was the, the fitness side of things um, and the preparation of players, but then also dabbling in the rehab side and, yeah. and working with the docs and um, the psychologists and, and making sure that athletes really prepared for training, games, and also things like outside of football. Um, so that was my first experience. Um, and then like throughout that time of working at, at AFL Vic, I was really lucky to go for a small stint at, at USC um, for a couple of months and, and then starting to see like the college system and how that's structured and compared to the Aussie way um, to then come back to football um, and then you know to, to really start to compare the differences between the two and um, some of the similarities as well. And then from there, after a couple of really good successful seasons, obviously I went to track and field um, and then to be opened up to a completely different um, structure, you know, when it comes to teams, um, because sometimes, you know, people can be, you know, kind of in their little silos um, and scattered around and rather than one big place. So it was, um, yeah, it was was really different. Nice. And um, what... Like, what cog do you see the most in, as the most imperative piece in, say, a running team? Like, do you think uh, the coach, the runner, or someone else is is more important than um, either one, or or um, do you feel, um, yeah, they're all sort of on, on par? On par? 
Um, look, I think when, when looking at the big team involvement where everyone's in the one place, um, everyone's on the same lo- lo- playing field. Do you mean? And I don't think that one cog is more imperative than another. Um, like a program is only as good as the athlete, you know, um, or the people supporting the program or the direction that the program wants to go in. Um, so I wouldn't say that one's better than another or more, more important than another. Um, but you know, like when you, when you're coming down from that, you know, that big, um, big team involvement into a smaller team, I think that when we're looking at the, um, that structure, I think that the, the most important cog, if you want to, you know, um, talk about that is that someone who can really direct the team and then that may not necessarily be the coach. It might actually be one of the athletes in the group, or it could be one of the support staffs to kind of keep everyone, you know, focused and on task, you know, whatever they, you know, might seem, you know, what is the main goal? Yep. Yep. Yeah, sure. Um, and then with your experiences over um, in the US and with football, uh, what have you um, seen, what have you taken from those environments when you compare them to, say, running um, and, and what you've seen in running? Oh, yeah. I think when you and I were talking about this podcast yeah. um, and discussing that, it was honestly like the biggest difference is the resources. Like at U- University of Southern Cal. Um, like it was, it was alarming, like a billion yep. dollar budget for a university is just, you know, astounding. It's, it's so much money that they've got, you know, and so much, so many resources that they can put behind a program. Um, and then also at AFL, you know, they, they've got a lot of people, you know, on hand to help. Um, so when you kind of compare it down to some of the track and field, you know, and, and running um, environments here, well, we're just not that heavily resourced. Um, and sometimes you don't have access to the same amount of people, you know, day in, day out. Um, and there's a real sense that, like, the the, pers- or the the coach and the athlete and everyone in that, um, you know, environment needs to take a real ownership um, and, and really, um, for a better word, be that, like, intrinsically motivated to pursue whatever goal they may have when it comes to their running. Um, because there's not someone, you know, who's going to be breathing down your neck. Like yeah. That we found, like, in, um, you know, and some of the big differences, like, I found, like, in the States compared to here, well, you know, in in California, I reckon there'd be a line that would go around LA twice, you know, um, of, of people that would, or guys that would want to play for the University of Southern California Trojans football team. Yeah. So, and they're all probably like equally as talented. So there was that real cultural shift of, well, look, I'm a talented athlete, you know, it's my right to be here. You know, it, it wasn't like that at all. It was a very much, a, well, this is our culture, this is our club, and it's a privilege for you to play for our club rather than your, you know, right. Um, and there was that real cutthroat, um, you know, culture of like perform or out, um, which was, you know, pretty hard because, you know, as a health practitioner, you're real nurturing. Um, yep. but you know, that, that was just the way that it was run. So, um, you know, as we're like, you know, when we come back here, it's like, well, there's a good little line that cultures, um, 
culture is, you know, kind of perceived by what the actions that people take when there's no one watching. And so I think that's, you know, the real difference that you kind of, you, that you're kind of striving for here because you're just not as resourced. Yeah. 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 If sure. that kind of makes any sense. To the yeah. Well, what, what have you, like with your experience with, um, the football, like what, what did you find worked really well and not so well, um, with the team, with the Oakley Chargers? Um, oh, Chargers was great. Like I really liked it. Um, some of the things that worked really well was that like the players, like we had like, honestly, in the year that I went through, some people would go, well, look, you know, you were blessed. Like you won two flags with that club because you just had talent pouring out of everywhere. Like, you know, the amount of kids that were drafted, you know, into, into the, um, senior league, you know, over that two year period that we were deemed the factory, you know, (laughs) or named the factory. Um, (laughs) So you could say that, you know, with the likes of like Darcy Moore and Jordan DeGoey and Tony McLean and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the list just flows on, that we just were blessed with talent. But these guys were really, really well, um, they're just a really cohesive group and they, um, they all just had the same, you know, goal and they weren't too caught up on individuals' talent. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that was really nice. And then with the support staff, like it was, okay, like, you know, you had people in certain positions that um, were kind of perceived to be like, you know, the head manager of a particular department. But when it came out to rolling out, you know, a, a, a decision or a system as a group, we all did it together. Like we're all on, we're all on the same playing field. Um, so there wasn't any um, battles of power or anything like that, you know, that oh, I'm, I'm the boss, so I've got to have control. It was, hey, look, I might have a bit more experience in this, but you've got more in this area, so we're going to utilise you a bit more. Like, it was just a team of culture, so, um, yeah, it wasn't a battle of egos, which was lovely. Um, and I think that's a really, that's what you'd want to find in a team environment, um, you know, a real commitment model rather than a star model. And then, you know, and that goes from, you know, the athletes involved as well as all your... Um, you know, your personnel, support personnel, that's for sure. Nice. And so if you're, a, to the listeners um, out there, like the runners out there um, that are listening to this, um, say if you're a listener and, and you don't have a coach or you don't have, um, or you run solo a lot or you, you don't have like the, a family doctor or physio that you see um, over years or years, like what, like... Um, what would you say to them in terms of like the importance of um, uh, yeah, developing that support network? Oh, yeah. um, I think that you you don't need like considering how many players we had yep. um, on our roster, and mind you, it starts pretty broad and then it you know finds in like you probably don't need that many personnel. Yeah, um, I think that you need like having personnel there. Um, you need to have someone that you can you know, it's like a bit of a soundboard for your, for your training. Yep. Um, so that could be what, like a mentor could, or a coach or, yeah, or, or you a mean, friend? It could or... be like an, another, like a yeah, coach, mentor, a training partner. Yep. Um, I think training partners are awesome to have because sometimes when you're running as a runner, like it can get pretty lonely. Yep. Um, you know, especially when you go into some pretty grim lactic sessions, <laughs> um, you can sit there and you'd be like, what the hell am I doing this for? Um, <laughs> you know, especially when you've got a couple of reps to go and you're saying, oh, one more after this one. Um, you know, so having a training partner is really, really, really good. Um, but then also have a coach, 
someone that can make you do the things that you just don't want to do. Do you know what I mean? If you if if you're that real um, semi elite pushing elite, or you're that elite and you're kind of in your happy zone, you you to kind of forever challenge yourself and to come up with new goals. I think that's really good to have um, yep. someone that can push you in that sense. Um, you know, and then and then it's also having some people like they may not be there every single session, but as you mentioned before, like having a physio or a doc or someone in the wings. So if something something does go wrong, you know, and you can't figure it out between you and your immediate team, that you can call on someone that's you know not overbearing and um, kind of guides you through the process of how you can kind of get back or how you might be doing things better. Um, but you know, one of the big things that we have always been really keen on at work. Um, is empowering the individual um, and empowering every patient that we see or runner that we see. So rather than making them dependent, make them really independent. You just want to be always be able to look after yourself, essentially. Yeah. yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and so yeah, also along those lines, like if you're, um, yeah, trying to find you know a, a physio or or a coach or you know someone else to run with, like it's gonna you want to sort of be um feel like you can talk to them really well and comfortable um and feel like you trust their opinion as well yeah Yeah. oh for sure i'm do you find that similar when you're dealing with people yeah yeah Yeah. like um like i think it, it works the best when you've really developed that rapport and um you feel like uh the athlete just lays everything on the table and says it how it is and um, and then um, you you feel like you know them really well because you've you've um, worked with them for a year or two, and so you start to sort of work out what what makes them tick, and um, yeah, suddenly yeah. Um, that communication and um, and um, what you suggest um, starts to to go in, and and they start to you know um, listen uh, you know more often than not. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And I think, but I think for the listener, it's really difficult, like coming out as a health bot from university is, you know, sounds a bit uh, full on, but, you know, yeah. I was going to use a different word, but, um, but you know, like coming out of university is a, like, um, with multiple qualifications and working in, you know, different, you know, areas, be it sports science or EP or physio and sports physio. Like it's very easy for me um to then kind of distinguish about who I would and wouldn't want to see. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I think from the general public and listener, like, you know, you see physio and then the general pop just think, oh, well, physio's physio. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Well, my wife, she's a musculoskeletal physio at the Alfred who works in the burns unit. Yep. Like, you probably wouldn't go and see her for yeah. your reactive Achilles tendon. Do you know what I mean? So yes. you go, hey, listen, she would tell you, hey, you've got to go over there and see this one. But... I think that when we're talking about physio, well, you can have a cardiorespiratory physio, a neurophysio, a musculoskeletal physio, you know, occupational physio, sports physio, generalist physio. And then, you know, how do you make that distinguish, you know, or how do you distinguish between, you know, whether or not that practitioner is good for you? And I think that for the listener, like if it was me trying to read or to give some a good advice on about who you might go and see, well, one, find someone that you can build that rapport with, as you mentioned, Dave, but then you know, find someone that, you know, has got a real strong background, be it, you know, additional qualification or have that experience in a particular field themselves. Um, and then also to really kind of dabble in and, and, and delve a bit more and say, well, hey, have you done a bit more PD? Are you, are you APA registered? Like just trying to 
hone in on your decision making about who you're going to go and see rather than just like oh so and so told me it's good I'll just go there and you know and just go into it you know um, just with the trust of the, and the word of someone else it's like because that person may or may not be suited like I'm not suited for everyone yep. but I've seen and I've you know handballed patients all the time yep. because I'm just not going to meet you personality wise and I think you get a better outcome with someone else yep. you know who's got the same level of experience they've just got a different way of doing things that, yep. you know that's better for the athlete or runner so yeah. I think that's kind of goes a bit both ways yeah, that's awesome. Um, like when you now when you work with like and treat elite or semi elite or recreational runners, is there a subgroup that you feel you have better results with over another? Um, oh, I think being physios, like I'm sure you like, and you jump in if you if you disagree, but you know yeah. we're we're so heavily research based now, and I really like it, you know, um, and I and I rate my education big time. But then, you know, there's that, um, there's that line of that, how close can you get to the gold standard? Do you mean like, this is the research that we're producing, this is what it's showing for this, and, you know, we want to try and get to the gold standard all the time. So, you know, and you want, you just generally want people to get better um, and to perform well. So I think that when we're looking at, like, do you like your, you know, elites, semi-elites, or your recreational runner, it's like, well, my big thing is how well can you adhere to the interventions and stuff that we've set together yep. um, to really see that you do get better and you do start to, you know, perform and, and meet your goals. So whether or not I had to pick one over the other, like, I think that's really hard. Sometimes you can find, you know, the recreational runner is fantastic yep. and the elites are as stubborn as all get out. Yeah. And sometimes you can find the, you know, the elites are great and open to change, especially if they've had some periods of, you know... Um, you know, some like you know injury and whatnot, um, and they can go into vice versa. So, yeah. Um, but look, I, I like the elites. I like the challenge. I think that's the sports physio in me, and um, you know, I like being under the pump to try and get ready or get something better, and then that challenge. So, but I think you can get it across all. With physio over the last five years, um, there's definitely been a bit more of a a cultural shift in how um, physios operate. Um. How do you see our role in the running space um, currently? Oh, well, it depends on which environment we're in, don't you reckon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, like, if I was to go to work today and, um, yeah, treat, you know, treat um, a band of runners, um, I suppose probably, like, my philosophy when it comes to treating is I want to create sort of an independent runner that knows how to treat their body and knows about their body and is educated about their body. But I feel like the stereotypical idea of what a physio is um, in society is probably someone that, um, you know, gives you a massage and then you'll be okay. Like it's, um, it's more sort of that passive treatment. Um, whereas now I see, well, I definitely see my job more as like, okay, a problem solver, get a diagnosis educate the patient on what's going on, how long it's going to take and what they have to do about it and then talk about um, why it potentially happened, whether there was a training error or a load management problem and, and if they look like they had some kind of weak area um, in their, you know, whether it was an internal or external um, load or whether it was just a, a muscular weakness. Like just, yeah, really just sort of trying to go from um, more that, that side of things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that like 
again, it's been, it's hard because I've come from that sports science EP background where it's very yeah. exercise driven. Yeah. And I think when we're looking at physio and the research and everything that we're doing, a lot of it is around exercise modalities. Um, and so we're, when we are trying to follow, you know, gold standard treatments. And so there is that real battle of, and I think that transition now of going away, as you said, from pure massage, which, you know, a lot of physios still do. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's and a it's really still good like, treatment. And, yeah. and look, there may not be as strongly evidence-based, but, you know, you can also see what happens clinically. And, you know, so you've got to draw on that clinical experience. And I think that's also evidence-based practice as well. Yeah. But then that transition away from purely just massage um, and joint manipulation and, you know, that real passive modality. But I think that's going to be something that, you know, we kind of battle for a little bit longer. Um, But I think that's been the, I think that's been the biggest shift. I remember going away, oh, it's stuck in my mind. And, you know, I said to, and I was up in, um, where was I? I was in town. I was up with the team, a Victorian team up north anyway. And, um, and I went around to each table, you know, around at dinner time. And, yeah. um, and I said, there's three physios there. And I said, Hey, listen, like this to all the junior athletes. I look, we're not against soft tissue modalities. We are definitely going to do it, but we're just not here as a, you know, pass your time massage service. Yeah. And, you know, and a couple of people broke down almost like, Oh my God, you're not going to give me massage. I can't, I get tired. I get this, I get that. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I didn't say I wasn't going to do yeah. it. Um, I just said that like, I'm not here is that pure service. Like, you know, yep. it's like pick my brain on something else or, you yep. know, but you know, it, that there is that real kind of ingrained perception that that's all that we do. Yeah. Um, and then when, you know, um, but then again, like going off on a bit of a tangent, like, yep. when you, when you're seeing, or when I see someone clinically, um, like I can be a bit forward, um, <laughs> and I can say to someone like in an initial session, like, what do you want from me today? And sometimes they're like, oh, eyes can bulge out of their head and they're like, what? You're not going to fix it for me? I'm like, well, no, but what do you want? Yeah. And I think sometimes then when someone says, well, I want some soft tissue modalities or I want some of this, well, there's that real clinical artist saying, all right, I've got to do some of this. Yeah. Even though in the back of my you know, brain, I don't think it's going to be relative yep. or give you the best clinical outcome or create that independence that you and I touched on before. Yep. Um, but I've got to do it to develop that clinical rapport with the patient. Otherwise yep. I could lose them pretty quick. Yeah. So having a good set of hands is also really good for, you know, you know, especially when we're looking about research in around like palpation of groins and groin injuries, like they're really good, strong um, diagnostic tools. So, you know, having some of that, like you've got to do it, but yep. you know, I think, yeah, coming back and saying, well, you need to do it for some of that rapport development. And it's also like, you can develop so much trust with people and, and get so much information out of people when they are in that like, relaxed state yep. um, and they can, they can give you a lot more that will actually, you know, better your treatment or understand why certain things haven't worked potentially in the past and you can go about it in a different, different angle. Yeah. You're almost um, kind of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like you're doing your, um, your, your patient therapist interview while, while you're treating um, and you're sort of um, working out how, how the athlete ticks. Um, and there's a certain amount of value in like if you can change someone's pain like in five minutes then you've probably earned a fair bit of credibility um like that that change in pain like all you've like a five minute massage like is not going to change the athlete like long term but you might have changed their pain enough to to you know give them a bit more confidence to to listen to what you say and 
and then they're going to do the exercises that change their body if that's the way that you feel like they have to go and 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 do the the structural or you know the physiological change over time that they need to do or or the learning that they need to take away from the appointment you know whether it was a training error um yeah that's that's great um but then there is the other side though yeah and like um when let's say for instance someone comes in with like what we classify as a, like a traditional like a kind of a bit of like a pure tendinopathy right of the achilles yep and they're like listen you know dry needle it massage it and yeah and your brain's going off and like right jill cooks you know 10 do's and don'ts with tendons and yeah and you're sitting there and you're like i will not do soft tissue modalities i'm not going to apply friction massage i'm not going to needle it you know and you kind of got to take a big breath and 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 go through and and just back the fact that it, that's what the problem is and then to go and do you know some loading or something where you can change it in like that environment into being acidic and then you know the patient goes oh the pain's better like it's a lot less and then you're like oh phew you know that <laughs> <laughs> you've got one you got the diagnostic uh, diagnosis right but then also show them like that the yeah. best way to probably treat this is actively is not actually with your passive modalities it can be used like along the way but then it kind of shows them and you can say hey listen like this is going to mean that you're independent you've got a way of controlling yourself you don't have to rely on me da, 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 da. you know yeah um, but yeah, if you if they don't get better or you muck it up like that, can be a bit hard. And um, or they or they could just be stubborn. You know what I mean? And they go, oh, nah, I still want the passive. And you're like, oh, yeah. you know. But you um, yeah, it's just a it's just a bit of a clinical art then about how to steer them towards. Definitely, yeah, and that that that's um, it's it's so true. Like trying to get that buy in is hard at the start, especially when, it, you know, if a runner is really after that quick quick fix, um. Uh, but you know, um, I suppose, I suppose, um, you eventually, you eventually get there, um, especially, um, if they've got like a tendinopathy, like with Achilles tendons, um, you know, what Nick was saying, like if sometimes if you can do those, like some isometric holds, so you, you raise up onto your toes and hold it for three lots of 30 seconds, um, uh, in terms of a calf raise, um, sometimes that has like a pain relieving effect. Um, so if someone can leave a treatment and feel a little bit better with their Achilles, then they're going to start doing some strength exercises, which, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, now, this is a really good one, I think. Like coming into a, a certain team with fresh eyes and believing there are some things that could be improved, how do you go about implementing change? Oh... <laughs> That's a really good point. Um, like coming into um, a team, I think that if you if you throw change, like if you bring about a lot of change really quickly, and it and it has a negative effect, be it on like team morale or performance, watch out. Yeah. Um, I think that's my biggest word of advice. So, um, and I think we learn from error. Um, Especially because physio is a lot of go getters. We want to, we, we, you know, we're like, all right, let's just, we've got to change this, we've got to do this. And, but sometimes, like, you, like, you just need to come in there and watch for six months. Yeah. You know, maybe thereabouts. And you might bring in one piece of change or, or implement one change in, in an athlete's program or routine or whatever. Um, and you can see how well that, um, you know, is kind of digested by the team. So, you know, an all-cogs coach, 
athlete, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that, that'd be my biggest word of advice is to, um, go about things slowly, especially if there's teams very well established. Um, because yeah, if you kind of throw in a whole heap of intervention and as I said, it goes wrong, well, you'll be the first one on the chopping block. The other thing as well is if it goes really well and you've bought about all this change, you don't actually know what change brought about this success, you know, um, was it, was it a particular exercise or, you know, the way that you, you know, do whatever, um, you know, um, and then, you know, um, and then also, also looking at change of like, if you go in there, um, and as the physio and, and not really understanding the group dynamics, and then you bring about the change, you might find that the, the group was actually willing to change, but you know, they weren't, um, ready to take the change from, you know, you, because you may not be an influencing person on that group. So by sitting back for six months and looking at a, at a team and, um, and again, from foot, 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 um, football experience, like looking back and saying, okay, well, I, I want the group to do this because, and coming back to the why and saying, well, that's going to decrease the chance of injury or improve performance or whatever. But if I go and roll that change out, the group may not take it. So, but if I bring it through this player or this coach who's very influential on the group and who have also bought in on it, then I'm going to get a lot of it. I'm going to get a better uh, increased adherence. Yeah. So, um, you can't you can't just pick that up overnight. Then again, on the flip side, like if you've got a if you're if you've got a new group established, um, you know, um, and you've potentially known some of the personnel in there and you know it's it's developing well sure you can bring about some of your kind of system if that makes sense um, and kind of put it into the group and then see what they do and don't like and then you can start taking things out and at that point you might be able to roll out more than you know a couple of changes at a time but you know i think it's also just um you know picking picking your battles and then if you if you then have to look at a lot of interventions that you do want to do it's also picking and saying well right what's going to give me my best bang for buck yeah i mean if i can only pick one what do i want to do with this group um and it may not necessarily be you know um like an exercise intervention or something like that it might be monitoring or load management of you know, whatever metric you might want to be looking at, um, in a particular sense. So yeah, that'd be my advice when it comes to implementing change. Um, I think, you know, I'm not sure, um, about you, Dane, but like in clinic when people come in and then like, Oh, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this, I've done that. I've done this. I've stopped my hill running, you know, I've changed my shoes and it kind of just screams at you and says to, to me, I don't know about you, but like the athletes lost control. They don't know what the heck's going on. Yeah. Um, well, that that's a good point because sometimes I think like we're talking about teams, but like sometimes people and particularly um, really keen runners, they they try to get advice from almost too many people, and then it almost confuses them. Mm. So they've got all this conflicting advice, and then they don't know where to go. Hundred yeah. percent, and I think that that's when we got to strip it back. Yeah. Um, which can make people, you know, feel a bit vulnerable. Yeah. Um, because they're like, oh, no, no, but I, I really feel like I need that, and oh, I really need that. It's almost like someone that's a bit of a hoarder. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to, you've got to change a few things. But look, you know, that's when the team's also really imperative about bringing around that change because you may not be able to shoulder it all as an individual. It's so hard, but I think like you nailed it in terms of that 
sort of observation period um, uh, in terms of like when you're working with a group as, you know, a, a physiotherapist, um, you know, often it takes a fair bit of time to win the trust of, of certain athletes. Like I know um, when I first um, started um, working where I work in, in Parkdale at Southern Suburbs Physio, like it probably did take me three to five years to establish a good um relationship with the local um little athletics coach Wayne Dybul and then the local um uh recreational running coach Sean Williams and and then once I sort of established that routine and worked with a few of the athletes and and um yeah had 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 um some good results with a few of the athletes um then people started to buy into it and then started listening to my advice for yeah for sure and I think that that's an interesting thing as well like looking at people's cultural background as well um because you know we just think that oh well we've got this idea and therefore you're just going to do it and i'm like but then again like people might be coming from a like for instance like i had a patient um from overseas and um you know if i said hey listen we're going to roll this out and you're going to do it he came from a very um uh, a society where you were told what to do and he didn't like that so you know if I kind of came about it from a very like autocratic approach it was gonna it wasn't gonna be adhered to um but I didn't learn like you know I was like oh this guy just doesn't want to do any work you know, yeah, he just, yeah. Doesn't wanna, just doesn't want to get better like you know but it yeah. was actually not that it was more that you know um like I just hadn't learned enough about him as an individual yes um, and some of his past and and whatnot and as soon as i learned about that i was like oh no wonder it didn't work and i tried a different different tack not too quickly because otherwise you know he'll smell a rat but then it was just like oh in the back of my head i learned about a few other things tried a different approach and it was the approach that you know um that i had wrong um but then to i think that's also the ability of people to be able to analyze the situation and be like well you know, why wasn't this, you know, kind of working, you know, and, and then to kind of like to really kind of dive into it a bit more and figure it out. Yeah. You know, cause it, yeah. Because you can have like some great advice um, for a certain situation, but yeah, if, if you sort of ha- haven't, like don't understand the character that you're dealing with or the personality you're dealing with, then if, if the way that you deliver the message doesn't sort of, you know, work or, or reverberate with them, then they don't listen. Like it's, and and I I've definitely um yeah I reckon that's definitely where I've sort of fallen down in the past for sure as well like just not really understood how to deliver the message to someone um like I've definitely got a more relaxed and sort of softer approach when I deliver a message and sometimes like people are after a more forceful or yep you got to do it this way message and mm. some people really listen well to that yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Um, but then yeah there's others that um need it given sort of that more that softer way as well yeah yeah and that's just a general life advice i think knowing three things about everyone you know will um will really help because you can really build that rapport yep um you know and they don't have to and it doesn't have to be about their running it could be about yep. anything you know but knowing yep. at least three things um i think that's a really um yep. good bit of life advice that someone once told me yeah um and it's held me in great stead um yeah and you just you really just active uh be able to actively listen do you yep. know what i mean and just to really buy in and, and to give a damn um, yeah i think that's just great advice 
It's awesome. Um, so yeah, both being human, both of us have botched up or stuffed this upper situation. Yeah. Would you mind sharing with our listeners about a time when you could have managed the situation better? Um. Oh. And what th- what you probably learned from it? Yeah. Uh, I think we've got like you talk to some of the greats, like some of my clinical mentors. They've always said, "Look, there's so many things I've done." that when I reflect on it, you go, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Yep. Um, I think one of the things, you know, that um, that happened was that, like, I attended a particular course and um, it was an area that I was clearly passionate about and was away on a team trip and someone came in to see me and I said to them, oh, you know, and they said, oh, I've got this problem. Yep. And one of the things that I botched was I then went on to tell them about how that they should have done a few things in, you know, beforehand in the lead up to a competition and this wasn't a good idea and I can't believe you haven't gone and seen someone about it. And I was coming from a very caring, you know, um, background. Like I was like, I wanted them to get better and, you know, and everything like that. But that wasn't the time and the place. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, like just before the comp. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of, oh, I was just, yeah, it was before, I, I'll admit, it was before <laughs> the comp. And, yeah. um, like they still did really well, um, yeah. but I was able to spin it around. But I could realize that I dug a six foot hole before this athlete was about to go out. And I reckon if I gave them one more bit of advice, like I was going to dig a little bit further, hit the septic tank, and then <laughs> and, um, and be covered in it. Um, yeah, you know. But then I think that it's you're picking your time and place, and um, yeah, and it was and it was looking at that particular athlete, and they're like, well, I can't change what's like, you know what's happened it's just like how can I better that person for going out to to run and perform at that particular time and um and maybe then at that point I might have put on like an an un, like an unnecessary stress um yeah from from that athlete or that runner yep but I think there's also that that opportunity to learn about that and you know making mistakes sure we're all human but I think the the good side of it is that you you do if you, if you learn from that mistake, do you know what I mean you yeah. don't do, you don't do it again? Yeah. Um. Or you know you're very unlikely to do it again. But that was one of my. Can you think of one for you? If I oh my, yeah definitely hole for me yeah um like definitely like probably the ones that stand out is like I always like um I uh, get really frustrated when I miss a diagnosis or I overload an athlete and because like you feel like obviously they've come to see you to get get their injury better, but if you if you miss a diagnosis, so like one that stands out, um, or pro- probably a couple of more, more the medical diagnosis that I've missed. So for example, like I saw someone with, um, upper back pain, a triathlete and he's getting this upper back pain after a long ride on the bike, like a hundred Ks on the bike. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's probably a postural sort of related, um, pain for, from being in that streamlined sort of arched over position, uh, for a long time. And, I sort of, um, yeah, sort of told him that that's what I think it is, and and then I I got a call a day later, and it, it actually he actually um had to go to hospital, um because he was short of breath in the shower, um, and he got an X ray um at ED, and it was a collapsed lung, and um so that was a real eye opening one for me because as a physio, you you're always looking at musculoskeletal injuries, um. But there's this in like, and I think it that's it's a nice example I think because it it shows that team aspect. Um, like you know, there's gonna be times where referring out to a doctor or 
or um, like being able to pick up those those medical diagnoses is important. Um, like a, a, I've recently learnt from it. So on a trip last year to Flagstaff when I was doing physio um, for some of the um, Paralympic um, athletes that were training um, over there for altitude camp, um, Keely Small, one of the 800-metre um, athletes, uh, she was really, really um, sore in her, her abdomen after a session um, down at Sedona and um, just really, really sore. And um, I sort of talked to Philo, the coach, and I talked to Keely and I was like, you know, this this um, might be appendicitis. Um, I think we have to go to the emergency department. And we went to the emergency department, Keely got all the testing. Um, and that, that was hard because it was in the US. So it was, um, uh, we were unsure what to do from a health, health side of things. Um, in the end, it was all covered, uh, which was great. Um, and in the end she didn't have, um, appendicitis, but it was just good to, like, we felt so much better after that, that we, we, we checked everything medically. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 And I think that that's, it's always that, um, that's, um, that ability to, um, recognize patterns, you know, for a diagnostic point of view, but then to kind of be ready for the the gorilla in the room that you may not have noticed because you're so focused in on yeah. you know something else yep um you know which is really normal yeah you know but it's that ability i think with and that comes with your clinical experience and more exposure that over time you can start to kind of be ready and go oh this is following this but i remember that time that i saw that yeah this was a bit weird so i'm just going to double check yep um and that just that's just time. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, time in the game. And then you've got that catalogue of, of experiences in your head that you can sort of sift through and go, Oh yeah, these this pattern mimics that, that um athlete that I saw five years ago. Or mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember like sitting down with um Henry in the in the masters program. I'm sure he's shown that video to everyone. But if you type in YouTube and he says like how many people oh how many times are the people in white pass the basketball? And there's a video on that and you, you're watching the people. You now there's people in a room dressed in black and white and the, the people in white are passing the basketball. And I remember watching like so like I was tuned right in. I was like, right, I'm going to get this right. I've got to get it right. <laughs> and, um, you know, and you're watching the ball go around the room. And at the time, this gorilla walks through the actual scene and, uh, and you don't, I didn't notice it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, and at the end, like, you know, the video finishes and then it says like, how many, how many times the people in the white pass the basketball? And I was like 15 and, yep. it, was, and it was 15. Um, but then it says, did, but did you notice the gorilla? And I was like, what? The gorilla? <laughs> and you know, so when they play the video back, this full gorilla kind of walks through, does a bit of a dance in the middle. So it's so obvious when you're then looking for it. But at the yeah. time when you're so tuned in, you just don't even notice it. And I was like, oh my God. And then, but then like the, the kind of ego inside me was like, well, at least I got the 15 right. <laughs> you know? so, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a really good point. And, um, and I played it to a few of my staff members or, you know, colleagues at work and they were, they, they were like the gorilla, what the hell, you know, and, uh, and they didn't see it either. But I think it was just a really good point to say, well, hey, look out for the oddball yeah. Yeah, and the curveball. Yeah, no, it's great. Like, I, and you I, can't find it on YouTube. 
Like if you go yeah, on I'm YouTube, look it up. And I think on a, on a similar vein, like um, probably overloading a few runners as well would be another situation where I've stuffed up before, uh, where I've probably got so focused on their injury and gone, okay, you have to do this, this, and this, and then probably haven't communicated well enough with their coach or we or got on in, in line with like what they're doing externally, um, whether it's um, at work in their general life and training wise. And then, you know, might have overloaded, like tried to get them so strong, you know, for, so they never get the injury again, but might have overloaded them. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I reckon I've done that one as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, can you touch on a situation where you have been able to turn a negative situation into a positive outcome? Um, oh, this is, this is a, a bit of a um, personal, because this is... Um, as a personal kind of story, now, I had a friend of mine um, for the last Oceania Championships um, up north. He um, he had a really good season, um, and credit to um, Johnny Nick, who he was working with previously. He did a really good job um, with this person, and um, and was well prepared. You know, um, leading into nationals, ran really well in the nationals, and you know, and medaled was then invited to Oceania Championships and four weeks out, you know, um, sustained an injury and from the, you know, underwent a scan, which was, you know, warranted and from that, you know, had a, had a significant injury and, um, and we were able to turn a positive or a negative into a positive because, well, and this is no fault of anyone's, but as the seasons go on, um, you know, we know in track athletes that they get weaker. And so there is a significant difference, um, you know, in some of his, uh, when it came to like some strength discrepancies. And we believe that that might've been the reason why he um, sustained this particular injury. But we were able to say to him, hey, look, you know, maybe from a baseline level or throughout your season that you didn't, you know, adhere to this protocol enough that was set. And so then from the, from the drop off, then it's resulted in this injury. Um, and then we were all able to say, well, we don't really know whether or not you were strong enough to begin with, you know, to try and help, you know, um, you know, create that tissue, like a robustness, um, to kind of withstand that, that level of racing for such a prolonged period of time. So we are able to say, well, look, instead of just rehabbing this, which we did, but to able to put a performance spin on it and then, um, from changing the expectation of oh, I've got to rehab to oh, I've got to get this better so I can perform well, um, you know he he came back and had a really good season this season even though yeah. it was cut short and you know and PB'd and um, you know apart from the fact that he's just a delightful human being it was um, it was it was really yeah it was a really nice um, um, achievement for him and also showing that like that program or like a good solid you know program can work you know really really well um, and I think we've also had like going back to football days I had a same a footballer suffer a similar injury and you know he was we were 12 12 or 13 weeks out from a from a grand final and we we're like right well this injury is going to take you know um approximately 72 to 100 days according to the research to get better and then but then also to try and like plan that you know players you know progression to go into a grand final to play like as his first game back um 
you know, that was that was a real achievement. And then for him to go on and get drafted um, by the Bombers was unreal. Um, yeah. But you know, there's some there's some times where you know you you can yeah it can it can it can also break your heart a bit when you're trying to get someone back and they just don't get back. Yeah. But I think that. You know, there are some times where you can, you know, hold on to a bit of hope. And when, you know, it turns around, it's an awesome feeling. And I think that's what we get out of bed for. And they give you the buzz. But, yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah, that'd be probably my two. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like, like I know exactly what you mean by that buzz feeling. Like, um, like, um, like it, uh, every day when you, like, if you see someone, you know, um, get a bit more educated and understand um, a certain concept that you're trying to explain to them a bit better or you know you see that they're actually doing their exercises their pain's improving or their strength's improving like it, 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 as a physio it's really that nice sort of feeling that you get from it yeah. um, seeing you especially yeah. when they come in like you know I remember when Petey Bowl came in and said hey Nico like yeah. um, I've been doing what you asked me to do <laughs> <laughs> and it works. Yeah. And I was like, when you see someone get invested, um, yeah. yeah, it's a great feeling. Yeah. And then, you know, and for that, the, the, like it's lovely be then because then that person's got that, that skill set and that tool that they're going to stick with them forever. Yeah. Um, They've learned a life skill uh, and they learn a bit more about themselves. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, like, yeah, when you were sort of turn, saying about turning a negative situation into a positive outcome, like I've got a few um, examples of that as well. Like um, one particular um, girl that I, I treated um, a couple of years ago was coming off a sacral stress fracture um, and, and at probably about four or five injuries in a row. So um, she, we, we came up with a term, term for her um, together and we sort of like, you just sort of stuck in you know, a chronic rehabber and she's like, yeah, I want to get out of that. And... Um, it was just a perfect example of someone going from a negative situation and addressing it really positively. So we, we sort of established um, uh, through a fair bit of testing that um, she was just so, um, like she was strong, but she didn't have any control um, with certain certain sort of tasks. And so she actually, um, while she was resting and waiting for her sacrum to heal, she started doing Pilates um, and um and really attacked it and, and tried to address her weaknesses. She learned a lot about um, uh, load management and uh, how slow that she was going to have to sort of slowly build up. And, but she didn't get down. I mean, she got down about it at times. That's normal. But at the same time, she still sort of um, kept turning up, kept doing it. Um, and then, yeah, now she's just come up off um, a season where she just did, um, you know, PB after PB. And it was just like, once again, so fulfilling to be a part of a small part of of her, her experience, but um, just to see someone, you know, rather than get all down about it and give up, um, go okay, well, obviously something's not right. What is what isn't right? And and she focused on on changing certain aspects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the most enjoyable professional sporting moment that you have been involved with? Good question. Um, I love my I love my flags at, at Oakley. Um, I think that yeah that 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 second win because we didn't have probably as talented as, as list. Um, you know I think that was that was um, my most enjoyable moment. Um, you know and and to see them get over the line and, and everyone buy into that commitment model. 
Um, like some other ones that really stick to mind, like I love watching Joey Deng in that B final um, oh, yeah. you know, in, at the Nationals <laughs> and just so like, right, I'm going to show you what I can do yeah. and to go out by himself, um, you know, and to, uh, and to run that. Like I really, I enjoy seeing some things like that. I think every Aussie likes seeing a bit of a Bradbury moment, but, uh, yeah. but that, that wasn't, that was just like, I'm, I'm talented, I'm good, I'm here I'm, and I'm going to show you that I can do it. Yeah. Um, I love that. Um, you know, then, and then there's like, you know, some, then it goes back to like just some, um, people who wanted to try and get up for a charity run or something along those lines who, you know, they've got, you know, they may not want to make a com games team, but you know, someone in their family was sick and then they've tried so hard to make it. And then, you know, to actually get them over the line to, you know, to whether or not it's, you know, run for kids or this or that or whatever, um, you know, that they're just as big, um, yep. Yeah, so I've I've really enjoyed being part of that. Um, I think it's like when you see someone really excited um, yeah. and motivated about something and putting in the work um, and and wanting to make a change and and really trying to make it happen. Like that's what yeah for me. Like I've loved that stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that like touching on my own experience, like I remember like pro running. I I think is great. Um, and a lot of like amateur runners you know, who go on to Olympic teams, you know, like Kappa Bianco or, you know, Josh Ross, um, you know, have come from a pro running, you know, background. Um, when, when I was running in pros, it's very different to amateur, but the similar, like the similarity was that, you know, when you've got a race, like, um, and people go, oh yeah, but you're off a mark. Like, okay, look, I'm not as good as the guy in the red or whatever. Um, so therefore I'm out in front. But I tell you what, like I still put in the same amount of training and grit and determination and probably has like, not that you need to chuck up in sessions, but like I push myself to the threshold, do you know what I mean? So many times, it's just the same as him. Yep. Um, and you know, when, back in 2013. What did you get your 400 down to? Uh, electronically, it still says it's in and around that 50 second mark, right? Yep. Which is, which is not quick. Um, but when I ran that at, like if you... If you kind of did the whole, you know, oh, if you run this and if it was on, oh, yeah. you know, if yeah. it was on track and wasn't on grass, <laughs> like they might have thought it ran about, ran about like the 48, yep. you know, mid mark yep. um, to win that backies. But, you know, when, when that was one, like to know how much work you've put in and to be able to share that with someone, that was also like that real moment of like, I understand then, you know, what it's like, you know, yeah. when you, when you've gone to hell and back to try yeah. and win something and to set a goal and, um, yeah, you really understand what it's like, you know, as an athlete to then, um, you know, to achieve something that yep. you've set your, you've set your mind to. So I think that's, but I think that's, it's those moments that keeps you, keeps you going for the next four years of, yeah, of slog. Yeah. 100%. And then it's also then like knowing that I'm sure when you've run, you know, PBs and marathons and whatnot, and that, yep. that feeling of like that fulfillment, like I did it and yep. then. To be, it's such a good feeling, I reckon, that yeah. to then be able to share that, you know, with someone, you know, whether or not we're discussing it like we are now, or to be able to be that one percent or two percent that helps someone else achieve that, yep, you know, is such a you get just such a buzz out of that, or I do, I'm sure you do as well, yeah. you know, to be able to achieve that little percentile, yeah, you know, and then to have just even to have a shot at you know getting that, like I think that's that's heaps of fun. Yeah, no, definitely. And then you've also um, been a training partner for Tams and Lewis, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh, way back in the day, yeah. A mate of mine, Jace, who was a pro runner, said, hey, Nico, do you want to come and do some running with me? And that's how I first got back into it uh, yep. as, a, as a younger kid. And, uh, you know, and 
Tams was like Tams is Tamsin, like Tams is a gun. Um, and you know, I was told, oh, you know, we'll come join this group, and she was there, and um, I was like, you sure you really want me running? And um, they're like, yeah, yeah. So we're in this squad and and training together, and then yeah, like I was one of her um, training partners, for, you know, in prep for you know Olympics and, and other championships, and yeah, that was such a such a good experience, you know. Um, you know, being with an elite athlete um, of Tamsin's caliber. Um, yeah. What was her team like? Like, if you were to... Um, oh. Yeah. Um, like, who was involved and... There was Jason and myself. Um, yeah. And Jace was a really good workhorse. Like, he had a better aerobic tank than me. I could go a bit... Oh, sorry if you're listening, but I could go a bit quicker than him. So I could help, <laughs> with, the, I could help with the speed work and then... But over time, like, you know, I, I developed a pretty good 800-meter tank. Yeah. And I could be with her on all of the reps, and I knew how far she wanted me to go. And, and now when I'm in with Fitzy, and he says, mate, how do you get him within point one of every single rep? It's, you know, that's credit to, um, to Tams and, and her, um, her ability just to execute a session perfectly. Um, you know, so, but then there was, there was the two of us, like Jace, Tams, and myself, um, and then there was a couple of other guys who just used to run that would, you know, still want to keep fit, but would be kind of like a bit of a pack filler, if that makes sense. And they might just jump in and out of um, sessions or only complete, you know, a particular distance of the repetition. But, you know, you could find that, you know, in these, you know, a typical like a, like a, a session that she might have done was like a, maybe like a 600 and, you know, like a minute 27, they're about 30 second break. And then belt out a two hundred, um, and followed by some cool down one fifties. Like that was a session that I really remember because you'd be a bit gaspy by the end. Um, but you might find that like in that situations, people would jump in at the three hundred meter mark or the two hundred meter mark within the six, and then finish it off. So it was kind of, it was very much race modeling at training, um, yep. and that was probably executed. You know, every every four to six weeks. That's one of the sessions that really stand out to me. So. Yeah, there was there's heaps of things like that, and um, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was heaps of fun. And who was our coach? And who, who was um, she that saying? was that was Jazzy, her older uh, her brother. Yep. Um, and yeah, and he and he wouldn't miss a beat. He was at, he was at absolutely everything. Um, yeah. You know, there was times when you know, um, yeah, Tams would ring. He'd say, oh, he's run. She's run here. She's run there. You know, and he was awesome. Like he'd just get on the phone at whatever time of the night. Doesn't matter about the time differences, and he'd <laughs> chat away with her. He was, um, yeah, he was he was really really supportive. What is a what is a strong personal attribute that goes a long way when working with runners? <sighs> um, runners are very hard to work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, I think that sprinters, sprinters, and distance runners, you couldn't you couldn't make them any more different. Yeah, they're so um, different. Yeah, yeah, so kind of work out which runner you're working with and then kind of, you know, um, and go from there. But yeah, I think that um, oh, best attribute, I think that's a, that's a really hard question. I think yeah. that um, the, the active listening and, and the really caring factor is big um, and to know what they want to try and achieve. Yeah. Um, and then to kind of see what they where they want you, um, in the puzzle. Yep. Um, you know, be it short term, long term, or whatever. Um, and then and I think also as part of and when we're touching on teams is not to take front and center. Like you don't need to be the center of attention. You know. Um, 
and to be really humble and to be able to sit at the back, you know, whether or not it's in the back of the competition or whatever. And so, you know, like, like I'm happy with the my little 1% that I gave and, and you know, you don't need to be, you know, um, the, the loud one at the front. Um, yep. Yeah, I think I think that's the best thing with runners. Um, but, yeah, that, that might change depending on who you're working with. Not in regards to, like, you know, being front and centre, but, like, that attribute, you know, you might you might have a, you know, array of good attributes. Um but you know, some might be more needed with a particular athlete over another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's an individual. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I sort of thought about that myself, and I think being a runner is important, um, or having that experience in running yourself is a really good attribute uh, when you're working with runners, because then you know how hard it is to take a rest day, um, and how how obsessed and addicted runners can can get with running and um and then trying to be that that voice of reason and that that third person that um logical sort of voice like you need to rest like this isn't getting better with what you're doing um or you need to take relative rest or or do, do something a little bit different and 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 say like I know this is hard to hear and I, but it's probably something that um you know, if if I was you, I'd want to hear it too. Um, uh, so like, I think having that credibility of um, goes a long way to working with runners. Yeah. yeah, and I think that like Benny Groth up at you know Queensland Athletics, he says, Nick, you're just so blunt. You, just, <laughs> you can just tell it how it is, and I was like, but sometimes you do need to. Yeah. Um, you know, you've just got to say it how it is. Yeah. But the what you still might say it how it is. <laughs> but you can you can really read that that athlete about like if I tell him it to him in a really blunt manner, um, you know, do I want them is that is that gonna get them to adhere better or if I take a more of a nurturing approach, it's just that just picking just picking your timing about yep. you know, I I have to get this message across, but how I deliver it might change. Um but yeah, that's that's what Penny always says about me. He goes, Nico, you know, you just tell it them how it is. Um <laughs> but at least it's but it's also like being consistent as well. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, you're not confusing people. Yeah, definitely. Like, I've definitely found it. Um, I always find that um, message, like, because I know, like, because being a caring sort of practitioner, you sort of like, you know how much running means to someone. So you sort of like, I'm fumbling around knowing in my head that they need to do a certain thing uh, for the sake of the injury to get it better as fast as you can. Um, but then, like, trying to articulate that to a, a person that just wants to run. Um, <laughs> Yes, some sometimes I, I yeah, you just need like I, I sort of get there, but um I definitely sort of take that nurturing side at the start and then eventually that it just comes out, look, I think just to get a result you need to you need to do this. Yeah, for sure. I think that if you say if you're definitely gonna tell a runner, Hey, listen, you're not gonna run for a period of time <laughs> They're just like, gonna run. <laughs> yeah, like are you or they're gonna battle with it because yeah. Like running is also a big part of people's identity, whether yeah. or not they've actually stopped to think about that, you know, or not. Um, you know, people say, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a runner. I'm a, yeah. I do this. I, you know, if you ask me, you know, it forms a part of my identity. Yeah. So if I wasn't going to run or someone tells me I'm not going to run, like I'm okay with that, provided that you can tell me why and then um, provided that you can also help me offer a solution as to how I'm going to get back rather than just tell me, oh, you're not going to run. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Not that's part of that. That uh, answering that question, but that attribute of you know saying, well, okay, you know, 
no, like this is the problem, being a bit blunt or saying it how it is, but then delivering in a nice caring way, but also have that plan um, yep. to be, and to also be quite creative yep. as well. I think, um, you know, yeah, with so, that particular got a, person. Yeah, and yeah. especially if you're dealing with a particular injury, how am I going to keep someone, you know, loaded and this and that, you know, so when, they're, when they are transitioning back, um, that we're not starting from, you know, miles behind the eight ball yep. you know i've got to have them pretty close and and you know and how am i going to still have them switched on mentally you know to keep going um so yep. there's so many things to take into consideration probably that's going a bit outside the scope of physio but um you know yeah there's just little things to consider what's some good advice in general that runners should consider um should consider i think that from what we've seen um, compared like to some overseas runners um, to the runners that we kind of uh, have here um, the emphasis in maybe some around like your strength training um, one of the big things that I kind of battle with a bit with patients and runners that we see um, is their underlying level of strength to run if that makes sense so you know, people think, well, I've got a pair of runners, I'm just going to go out and do it. Cool. You can to a certain extent. But when you want to start, you know, dialing up distance or speed sessions, like the tissue capacity has got to be at a particular level to withstand that, you know, stress that you're putting on it. So I think that, you know, when we're dealing with runners and they're, you know, and you're telling them they need to get a little bit stronger because it's not running, so to speak, they don't see it as a running session. But, you know, there is that time when you need to pull on the reins a bit to say, look, this needs to be a priority. Put, you know, eight to 12 weeks into a, you know, a periodized cycle of some strength work and then transition and then, you know, kind of be happy with that and then manipulate another variable in your, in your running um, and to do it a bit by bit. Um, but, you know, that's, that's just a forever battle that we can kind of have. And I think that, yeah, looking at, like the overseas models, they start a lot of strength training, some specific strength training from a lot younger age, um, and maybe their tissue capacity is a little bit better, so then therefore they're handling these, you know, much larger volumes of training, you know, um, maybe a little bit earlier on in their careers. Um, but then, you know, sometimes people can forget about what they're not seeing behind the scenes, um, yep. and then they just go, oh, well, so-and-so's completing, you know, 100Ks or 120Ks, and I'm like, yeah, but they've, like, have you seen the journey of how they've got yeah. there? And, you know, and, you know, yes, everyone's going to be a bit different. So um, that'd be my advice is probably have a look at some of like, like the parameters that are required to run. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I reckon that's great advice. Like, um, like you look at like even Kenya, for example, their, their life is so physical. Um, like um, they're doing physical labor from a young age. They're walking to school. I, f- I feel like um, their bodies are really strong from a young age and so they are a bit more resilient to um the load uh loading aspect um mm. in general um yes yeah, so, and then probably the other thing that i, I reckon that I, i'd love to get that message out there yeah I, i'm totally on like i i love like just runners having some additional exercises to to complement their running because everyone's got a weak area but i also think like the idea of that it takes time and acknowledging that because um, we're in a society where everyone's, you know, you know, after results now and um, a change now and, 
as such an instantaneous society and just acknowledging that um yeah change takes time and 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 having a structured sort of program um that just slowly gets you to somewhere and having a goal that's not just in four weeks time or six weeks time but start working towards it say six months out nine months out 12 months out um and have have that have that um more long-term approach in terms of changing your body yeah definitely and i think that like when we're dealing with junior athletes as well you know having more than just one sport i think is a really good one like don't get me wrong like i wouldn't tell like a someone with you know um like persistence, patella, tendon, optically or something, you go and play netball and basketball and volleyball all at once, like I think you're in for a disaster, but you know, um, from the jumping loads. But I think from a track athlete point of view, I think, you know, running is great, but running, you know, from the, in the developmental stages, like getting that motor control and this and that, it's, it's um, you know, if you get it from multiple, like if you're doing multiple sports, like you're going to be far more... Um, potentially far more resilient you know when it comes around to like your running as well um and then it's also the element of fun in sport because i think that sometimes one of the big problems that we see is that you know juniors who have adopted a very serious training program and um very goal driven um you know which is okay but you know if but you also find that sometimes it's not you know that they're they're so caught up in the, like you have to have like wins and this and that for it to be successful rather than just kind of really enjoying the sport um you know and then and then allowing that development to go in its own kind of you know you don't have to try and accelerate it do you know what i mean you just kind of let it happen and um yeah and yeah that'd be my other point that i would raise it yeah. yeah um you know and and again touching on like you know the the other the other component of it is yeah being active when you're young because we know that like if we're looking at tendons for instance and like and you're talking about how that tendon develop develops up to you know a particular age and then it kind of the tap turns off and you can't make more of a particular fiber or whatever and um that's what you've got for life so you don't want to be too passive and then you know when you're 25 think oh, i'm going to be an ultra marathon runner and you know and have done nothing in your junior years i'm like well that's probably not going to happen so um yeah there's that real fine line and that balance yep yeah that's great and and i even reckon that, that yeah obviously that applies um so much so like when you're old as well like um a lot of a lot of people people just keep trying to um just just run when they're as they're getting older and um it's probably even like more of a reason to to do that extra sort of complementary strengthening um because we know that you, you lose sort of muscle strength um um you know every year after 30 um so mm. and i think yeah. that's a really good point as well i think we'll touch on this in another podcast yeah. i'm sure down the track but you know maintaining some of those sessions you know be it some of your heavy strength training so from a from a metabolic point of view if you're looking at your fiber typing of you know um within a muscle structure to make sure that you can still maintain some of your fast twitch and the way that you're going to do that is you know buy some heavy lifting or some heavy strength training that doesn't actually make you slower but we'll get to that later yeah um yeah you know and just and but just being yeah mindful of like you know the physiological change and yeah as you mentioned before like an older runner saying well like i you know i take longer for for recovery um so yeah. then therefore i can yeah complement my training by doing a 
you know, um, a non-weight bearing session or something else that will still keep me fit, but I'm not going to, I'll allow my body to recover for the next session so I can go in okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, how, this is a tricky one. How would you wrap up this podcast on the team for a runner? Oh, um, how would I wrap it up? Um, have a really caring, have a really caring team around you, um, yep. and have a look at you. Know, what What do you want as a team? Like, do you yep. know, do you need a, do you need the physio? Do you need the coach? Do you need parents and you know and spouse and whatnot all on the same page? Yep. Um, make sure that your team is nice and consistent with the the message that it delivers. Um, if you're choosing to run with another runner um, and you are a competitive athlete, make sure that we're on the same page. Um, and then as a runner, always come back to the reason as to why you're doing it. And I think that if you just keep asking yourself why five times, you're going to get to the real crux of, you know, um, real crux of it. And then you can, um, and you can figure it out and, and make some really good informed decisions from there. I reckon that's awesome. That's a great summary of the podcast. Now, um, yeah, in the next few weeks, we're going to catch up again. And like you um, alluded to before, going to talk about um, a couple of other topics. Um, one that we've sort of been working on is um, rehab versus performance. Um, and then we we're also um, starting to think about, um, you know, how important, as another episode, how important are biomechanics um, for the runner and do you change them or not? Um, so, yeah, it's going to be fun. Mate, I look forward to it. Thanks, Heath, for having me. No worries, Nick. Awesome. Thank you.